Welcome to The Spin Cycle. I'm Maggie Sarachek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together we are the Anxiety Sisters. Today, we have a very special podcast plan. Our topic is obsessive compulsive disorder, which is an anxiety disorder affecting about 2.2 million people, or roughly 1% of the population here in the U.S. And we're very lucky to have in the studio with us our friend Susan, who's been living with obsessive compulsive disorder, we're going to call it OCD, for more than 30 years. In just a few minutes, we'll be talking with her about her experiences. But first, we want to explain a little bit about obsessive compulsive disorder for those of you who don't know a lot about it. So OCD is a chronic anxiety disorder from which I suffer and have since I was around 15. So it tends to be chronic throughout one's life. And it's characterized by these recurring, intrusive, obsessive thoughts that kind of take over your brain and keep repeating over and over and over. And it Like like what would one of those be? Oh, well... For you, say. Oh, for me, you know, I'm going to have a heart attack. Okay. You know, is my heart functioning right? And And I'll get obsessed with that thought. Okay. Okay. And so that's the obsession part of it. Okay. And it creates a lot of anxiety, obviously, because first of all, you can't get away from this obsession. Right. It's just there. You're a prisoner to the thought. Right. And then also what you're thinking is probably anxiety provoking. Like, am I going to have a heart attack? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's slightly anxiety provoking. So there's that piece of it. Then to sort of counteract all of that anxiety, someone with OCD creates a ritual or a behavior, something to soothe themselves. And that's called the compulsive part of it. So you have your obsession, I'm going to have a heart attack, I'm going to have a heart attack. And then the compulsion for me was to take my pulse constantly. Right. So the ritual is actually kind of, it's almost like you have a scratch and that's the obsession and the ritual is like itching it. Right. And, but like the itching and itching and itching and the scratch, it still won't go away. Right. So that's the part of it that's so mind boggling and energy sapping is that you cannot get away from it. And you know that it's an obsession. I mean, you know about this thought. It's, you know that it's irrational, but you can't stop it anyway. It's really, really frustrating. So... I always hear obsessive compulsive disorder like people who are obsessively washing or yes, that's very common. Compulsively washing their hands, I Mm -hmm. guess. Yeah. So they would have a thought like my hands are dirty or Or, I have germs or I've been contaminated. Okay. That's the thought. Is I've been contaminated, and then people will you know wash all the way up to their elbows like you know hospital scrubbing. Right. And sometimes people who have really severe OCD but with contamination issues have been known to make themselves bleed. I mean, wash their hands until their skin is raw. Right, right. Or spend hours and hours washing their hands. So here's some good news. Unlike most anxiety disorders, OCD does not prefer women. Men are just as likely to have it. And the average age that you get it is around 19 or so. But a lot of kids have it. Yes, that's true. That you develop, you can develop it earlier. And like I said about myself, most adults who have it are aware that their obsessions and compulsions aren't rational. And the problem is they just, they can't stop them. Right. It's like knowing that you're having a panic attack that's not rational, but someone could tell you that, you know, if you're on a plane, oh, you're very, very safe, but it doesn't help you actually deal with the panic attack. So here's the thing. 
one one panic disorder I do not have is obsessive compulsive disorder. I disorder. wish you had obsessive I know, compulsive disorder. I need disorder. a tiny <laughs> bit of it. You need more than a tiny bit of it. If you've seen it. the state of my house, you know I need a tiny bit more of it. Yes. I know the hand washing or for you worrying about having a heart attack, taking your pulse. Yeah. But what other kinds of things do people have obsessions over? So some people get a preoccupation with they can't lose or throw away anything. So like a hoarding behavior oh, is OCD. Okay. Okay. Because they and they can't stop it. The obsession is I can't lose this. If I if I get rid of this, I will lose something important to me, or maybe I will lose. And so the ritual becomes keeping everything, saving everything. Another popular one is a, a, a an excessive concern with order or symmetry. So you know, or even numbers having like having to have things in an even number. So right. People, where they can't eat three pieces of bacon, they'd have to eat two or four. Right, right. Because they feel that somehow the even number is more soothing, and obviously the same could be true for an odd number, whichever obsession. Or order, like things have to be in a particular order, arranged in a certain way. You know, the movies have really picked up on that one. I don't know if you remember Sleeping with the Enemy? Yes. With uh, Julia Roberts. Yeah. So her husband was obsessive-compulsive, and he had to have every can in the pantry in alphabetical order and the labels all had to be turned facing perfectly outright. Towels all had to be the same length. Another common one is people get these very intrusive taboo thoughts. Okay. So like inappropriate sexual thoughts or really distasteful religious thoughts that they can't get out of their heads. And these are people who are not perverted or at all inappropriate in their daily lives, but they, they get these intrusive thoughts. So what kind of ritual would help them with that kind of thing? From what I understand, some people can have just the obsessive piece yes. and not have the ritualistic piece. So they're just called obsessional obsessive compulsive exactly. disorder. Exactly. It's not, they don't have the There's ritual. actually a whole list of types of OCD. For instance, my type is called obsessive hypochondriasis which has to do with medical issues. But you're right. Some obsessions don't come with rituals, but they paralyze the person because they can't stop thinking about that obsession. And so the answer to your question about someone that might be having, let's say, excessive inappropriate sexual thoughts is that person may not allow him or herself to be near whatever the subject of the thought was. That person might be afraid to leave their room. In other words, there will be some something disruptive. Um, or that person may start saying something to counteract it. Okay. You know, some sort of a, a mantra. Or another common ritual for people with, that are having inappropriate thoughts is to deny those inappropriate thoughts out loud. I would not think about this. I cannot think about this. And say that over and over. Everyone with OCD has his or her own special breed of it. You know, mine, mine are my own and my rituals are my own and Susan's are her own and her rituals are her own. So that's interesting to know that there's a lot of different types yeah. of obsessive compulsive disorder, that some are with rituals, some is just the obsessions, but all of it is an anxiety disorder and all of it takes up a lot of energy. Yeah, it does. Particularly for people who have mental rituals. They endlessly review a conversation or count or repeat a phrase or try to call up a good thought to counteract a bad thought, or they start using special words or phrases they think can neutralize what they said, a little bit like what I was just explaining with inappropriate thoughts. Some obsessive compulsive kids will ask questions over and over and over about the same thing. Right. In many different ways. So that would be a mental ritual where they need to ask questions constantly. They can't stop. 
it's hard on parents who don't have OCD or don't understand OCD because they want to just grab the kid by the neck and say, stop asking me. You already asked me that. Right. Or, really... they, or the kids will have parents over and over promise them something. You know, promise yes. I'll be okay, promise you'll be okay, but not once or twice. This is to an obsessional level. And they need to hear the parents answer it in order to feel safe. Absolutely. Uh, so contrary to popular belief, OCD is a neurobiological disorder. It's not a condition that you can bring on yourself. You didn't cause it. Um, it's not something you did or didn't do. And that includes parenting styles. We have a lot of anxiety sisters that are afraid to, quote unquote, give their children their OCD. And yes, there is some genetic component, as is true for anxiety disorders in general. But really, it's not a parenting style that can cause it. Right. I got it. And I guess the last point I'd want to make is that in order to be diagnosed with OCD, formally diagnosed, these behaviors, these compulsions to soothe the, the obsessive thoughts have to occur frequently and they have to disrupt your life. Because I've heard people be like, oh yeah, I have, you know, I'm a little OCD about this. Yeah, that's, I mean. Yeah, the, I mean, it's kind of how we were joking about it before. Right. Like, we wish I had some OCD. But, but I that, really truly wouldn't wish OCD no, on you because it's very difficult. It's a, we, I mean, when I start... Not. When I start with my obsessive compulsive thinking, it's really, it's like spinning. So in that sense, it's like a panic attack. It's, it's just like that because you want it to stop and you can't get it to stop. And it's really hard. So Abby, you've talked a little bit about your OCD, but can you explain a little bit more about the, the situations or times or sure yeah. what it looks like in reality? Okay. Well, like I said, it's different for everybody, but I can certainly tell you what it looks like for me. And then of course, Susan's going to tell us about hers and hers is very different from mine. So like I said, my actual diagnosis is obsessive hypochondriasis, which is one of the branches of OCD. And that involves being, your obsession is health related. And it's typically related to something that's not wrong with you. So okay. I don't have heart disease. I've been to all the doctors and had my insides checked. You know, everything's been scanned and, mm -hmm. you know, I've had every test. And all right. So it's not reality based. It's not reality based. Okay. So in other words, if you do have heart disease and you are checking your pulse because you're afraid that your heart is malfunctioning, that's not OCD. For me, the obsession is I'm going to have a heart attack. And so I end up taking my pulse. And I'm not talking about taking my pulse once in a while. I'm talking about every 10 or 15 minutes and then sometimes asking my husband to take my pulse or worrying that I didn't get it in the right place, that I didn't count it correctly. I bought myself an expensive piece of equipment to hook up to my computer so it would take my pulse for me and then I would sit there the whole time I was trying to work looking at my pulse and watching it, seeing the numbers change. As you can see, this is really, it's time consuming and it really distracts you. Another thing about my OCD would be that I wouldn't go anywhere where I didn't know where the nearest hospital was. So, for example, my husband and I went on a really beautiful two-week trip in Oregon. It's supposed to be like another honeymoon for us, but I wouldn't stay anywhere that wasn't within five miles of a hospital. My husband was wonderful about it. He really understands my anxiety, but and this was before I was medicated for it. But I absolutely, I had to know. I had to look on Google Maps to see where the hospital was. I had to know the route right. in case I had the heart attack. Right. So that was that. That actually was the part that needed medical intervention for me. I have other types of OCD. I have some germ phobia. Some. <laughs> okay, a lot. So for me, it's like when I go to a hotel room, I have to Lysol. I bring my own Lysol wipes and gloves, and I literally have to Lysol everything that anybody could touch. I won't let the bed covers stay. Like, I'll take the comforter off the bed, the pillows that are 
for, you know, for decoration. Anything that ha- couldn't possibly be put in hot water, I remove. What's the thing with your toothbrush? I know you do something with a toothbrush. Yeah, that's that's not really a germ thing. I'll get to that. But, okay. But it's not, I mean, it is partially a germ thing, but it's more about my fresh start thing. But I'll get to okay. that in a second. Okay. Uh, so the germ thing, so for me, is, you know, I won't go in public pools. It's really hard for me. I just, all I can think about is the pee and the snot and the loaded diapers that have been in that pool before. And I get really freaked out about that. And has this gotten worse as you as you because when I met you in college you were swimming right quite a yes bit. Uh, it got worse as I got older okay. but my anxiety disorders in general got worse because okay. my primary was depression right so when you met me in college I had depression right uh, and I didn't have any of these compulsions in college oh, these showed okay. up well well the fresh start one I kind of did but the other ones the hypochondriasis and the germ phobia showed up Right around the same time my panic attack showed up. So what is the fresh start one? Can okay, so that that's also really popular and, you know, I'm really outing myself here. It's kind of <laughs> embarrassing. Um, but I have this need for perfection. So I do things like give myself a fresh start and I have rituals to do that with. So for instance, um, on the first of every month, I throw out my old toothbrush and start a new one. Regardless, it doesn't matter if I never brushed my teeth for 30 days and that toothbrush was brand spanking new, I would still throw it out and put a new one in. Just one shout out to Mark. Her, her dad's a dentist. It's not she his fault. Did, no, no, no. But Mark, she does brush her teeth every day. Don't Some, worry. Sometimes twice. I do things like I, I would buy, I love journals. You know I love to journal. So I would buy a journal and then I would use that journal to determine what I should do in a given day and I'd write a to-do list. And then if I didn't do something on the to-do list, I'd throw out the whole journal. Wow. And buy myself a brand new journal. So wow. in my office upstairs in my house, I have literally a hundred journals. Wow. With like two pages filled out. Okay. Okay. And it, and I also used to be a chronic dieter, which thankfully I no longer do, but th- the chronic dieting, the fresh start was that too. Every Monday. Yes. Start the diet every Monday. I do remember Monday. that one. Yes. You. And it was like beyond your typical Weight Watchers, oh, I'll go on a Sunday meeting or a Monday meeting because that's convenient for me. It was for me, all right, it's Monday, it's a fresh start. So I had a lot of needing to wipe the slate clean. I still need that with a lot of things. I, I find myself doing that starting fresh. But those That's my particular brand of OCD. Everybody's is different. Now, so you went on medication for but How did yeah. you treat your well, OCD? Well, I was, you know, for the depression, I was on... Another SSRI, which is, we've discussed that it's the, it's, it's an antidepressant that you take every day Mm -hmm. to help boost the serotonin in your system. Um, and so I was on Paxil right paroxetine right for a long while. Depression. Yes. Helped depression. It was great. Uh, didn't do anything about my OCD. Okay. Okay. My OCD actually got worse when I was on Paxil. So I, the, the psychiatrist I go to now is, he's really great. He actually was the first psychiatrist I've been to so many who really got to the bottom of my anxiety and was able to accurately diagnose exactly what I have. He's the first one to say, you are primarily an OCD sister. Okay. All my other psychiatrists all had given me panic disorder because I did have panic attacks. Right. But you can have panic attacks with OCD, and it doesn't mean you have panic disorder. Right. So my primary diagnosis now on my record or whatever, <laughs> whatever's floating out in the ether yeah. that, that yeah. about me, um, is that I have OCD with panic is secondary. Okay. Okay. So what the doctor said is that Prozac is his drug of choice and most people's drug of choice when it comes to helping obsessions and compulsions. And have you noticed a difference? Since oh, you've been on oh, Prozac? My, oh my God. Night and day. I mean, my life is completely different. I, have you seen me take my pulse this whole weekend? 
I don't think so. No, nope, no, nope, I have not. And I don't know where the nearest hospital is. I mean, I, you know, if I get a twitch, like gas pain, I think, is that the beginning of a heart attack? But that's just part of my anxiety. I don't get caught up in having to take my pulse constantly. I'm much better about the germ stuff. I mean, I didn't wipe down this particular hotel room. And really? I didn't, yeah, I didn't. I didn't bring my Lysol wipes with me, so I didn't bother, and I still use the clicker <laughs> without washing my hands three times right. after. So, yeah, no, it's much, much better, and I don't. I really don't lose any time. And even the fresh start stuff I don't do now. I just, I remedied it by using sticky notes that I can throw away, but right. keep the same journal. If any of you uh, listeners out there are struggling with OCD, talk to your doctors, because medication does help. And what's going to be really interesting is when we talk to Susan, the one, I don't know that much about her OCD, but I do know that she uses a different medication that's been She does. Really... She actually tried Prozac, and I'll let her tell you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't go well for her, but. Yes. So it, it's good if one thing doesn't work, that there are other treatments Well, I wouldn't go there. to your doctor and ask for Prozac. What no. I would do is go to your doctor and say, I have these intrusive thoughts and obsessions, and I can't control them, and they're compromising my daily life. Is there something that I can take? Right. That's different. I, I wouldn't go ask for a specific drug because right. I think a good psychiatrist will figure out the right one for you. Okay, great. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to chat with our friend Susan about her OCD experiences. So stay with us. to have Susan here with us. She's a longtime anxiety sister and OCD sufferer, and she also is our first guest on The Spin Cycle. Yay, Yay Susan. Hi, Susan. Hello, Maggie. How are you? So, Susan, you have been battling OCD for a lot of years, right? Me? You? I'm perfect. Of course not. Of course, right. Uh, when, when did you first start with it? You know, I was always you know, with the anxiety a little bit as a kid. And I would have these sort of intrusive thoughts that you that you touched upon. And and as a kid, it's really like disturbing. Like, why would I think certain things? Why would I conjure up these horrible images in my head? What's wrong with me? And so sort of like the stuff Maggie and I were talking about with inappropriate thoughts. Yes. And it was like, what, you know, I, I, I was a good kid. I was a nice kid. Why, why would certain images come into my head? It just didn't make sense. Right. And in later years when, you know, we'll fast forward for a moment when I decided to get some therapy on this, you know, it, it's just a thought. And, and the thing you have to be so careful, especially with children, is to make sure they get that it's just a thought, but they need something more tangible, so they, they might name it. Right, like, a lot of therapists you know, will have you name Like annoying Irving or something that they could point to and say, that's not you, that's that. That's that's just that. It's not what makes you you. But as a grown-up, it didn't name it, but I recognize that that is just a thought, and maybe that's the mantra some would choose, that is just a thought. For me, I just said cancel, cancel. Cancel, cancel. And, he, and my aunt Anne taught me that one, and she said, every time you think of something that's disturbing you or that you feel would cause you to spin into a ritual, say cancel, cancel. And I'll be honest, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, how, how old were you when you first started with OCD in earnest? I would say 20. Okay. Um, I was in my third year of college when my mom got very ill, and I left college and did my second half of my junior year um, back in Florida, 
to help my dad and to spend my mom's last time with her. And went back to college my senior year, and man, oh man, did that anxiety just blow up. Sounds like a little bit of post-traumatic stress. And I never put the connection together until, I guess, several years later when I decided to get some therapy, that trauma can definitely bring on what, what you might have a, a touch of can explode. Sure. Any anxiety disorder can be brought on by trauma. Right. So, I mean, I just found myself paralyzed at times by it. Was it those intrusive thoughts or was it another? Uh, actually, it, it was more when, when Maggie was discussing the hand washing. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I literally would, especially in the wintertime, my skin would be raw from washing it so much. And, and what was the obsessive thought running through your head that made you need to wash? Was it a contamination I, thing? Yeah, exactly. When you said contamination, like if, if I had a, you know, God forbid, use a public restroom. When I walked into that restroom, the moment I went in there, I, I you know, I just conjured up all of these well, images. That what's I, wrong with that? <laughs> I know because I mean, that's what I do. Because you're crazy too. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. <laughs> I would literally go into the bathroom. I'd wash my hands. That wouldn't be good enough. I'd wash up to my elbows. That wouldn't be good enough. There were times I would wash my face. Why would I need to wash my face? Well, what if when someone flushed the toilet? I was just going to answer that perfectly. If someone flushes the toilet, the germs could be floating. This is what I'm saying. I notice <laughs> at rest people. stops that other people seem to walk in and out of public bathrooms without a problem. I mean, I literally, when I would have to take my babies um, to the restroom when they were like two and three years old and like to touch everything. Oh, I wouldn't let my kids go in a public restroom. I, 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 I spent until... I told they- them to just go in their pants. <laughs> Well, I would have this porta potty with me until I think, and you might even remember, until they were like four or five years old and I had a, a wagon and I would just put them in the back and say, this is where you're going. And, and yes, I knew from that moment I was probably creating more monsters than necessary, but I just couldn't do it. And when I had to take them in, all you would hear is, don't touch that, don't touch that, don't touch that. What are you doing? <laughs> Float. So now the bodily fluid thing, is it, does that still, to this day, is that still an issue for you? It was, you know, going through my 20s, probably for several years. I mean... And is it, it wasn't just germs, right? It was other bodily fluids as well? Um, yeah, like, I, <laughs> this is really gross, but in the interest of no, no, go transparency. Ahead. Our, our listeners love gross. I remember walking in a park one day and, and I walked on something and I turned around and it was a used condom. Ooh. And yeah, but yet when I told you about it, you're like, it was on your shoe. Big deal. Like, well, I mean, I, I'm saying you for you. Right. Because but, but, <laughs> I, I know what you're thinking, which is I need to throw away the shoe. I need to, right. These shoes are going in the trash. Good thing I only buy like $12.99 Payless shoes. But I remember just thinking, oh my God, that now there's like semen on my shoes. Right. And I remember talking to you about it. And you're like, well, it's just semen. It's not, you know, it's off your shoe by now. And it's not going to kill you. It got on your shoe. And, I, and how I'm, hypocritical. I am. <laughs> you know what? Go write another journal. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> and so, you know, you could have told me that a hundred times, but until I could rationalize it well enough for myself, it was not going to happen. And I don't remember if I threw them out or just Lysol the crap out of them. I, I don't remember. I remember once you had your floors redone. Oh my god! And then yeah. like the tile guy in the bathroom, like <laughs> cut himself, and like I mean a minor cut, and like he might have. Yeah. I don't think he even bled on your floor, but no, he did. Oh, he, he did. did. You were you called me really upset. Yeah, the tile guy, and and we, he was at the grout portion, and that like the the, the the mastic that you put the tile on, and he had this cut, and I saw a couple drops of blood go, uh. and then he wrapped it up and cleaned himself off and went back to the tile job, 
And when he put the tile on top of the mastic with the blood, I couldn't get past it because all I kept seeing was this blood. And you kept asking me, do you think he has a disease? Do you think he has and AIDS? You, and my point is, is even if he had a disease, it was, underneath it was not going to permeate the tile. I mean, it's porous to a certain <laughs> extent, but this is but the But that's the OCD This talking. is the yeah. madness of it. Right. And, and it was obsessional. It was to the point where I went in and dug up some of the grout around it and put a little bit of new grout around it. I mean, insane. I remember getting uh, a cat when my cat passed. I, I, oh, Squirtsy. Squirtsy, yeah, and Abby. Which, you know, why would you name a cat yeah, Squirtsy? Yeah, I named him Squirt, that. and so Abby automatically put this horrible bodily fluid image in my head. Thanks for the support. Excuse me. If you name something Squirt, then bodily images are absolutely <laughs> fair game. So I just, the cat had some worms, and a normal person would have, you know, ridden the storm and gotten through it. But literally, every day I would come into my house and I'd open the bathroom door and it was a crime scene, which, you know, again, a normal person would take a few Lysol wipes, wipe up the areas that they see. But to me, everything got contaminated. So I literally went through bleach after bleach, gallon of bleach, getting rid of every possible contaminated surface. To make a long story short, Squirt's name is Jake and lives in another family. So the point is, is I went to the doctor after three weeks and I said, it's either me or the cat. And my kids, I think, were voting for the cat, but, you know, the cat couldn't drive them to school. So, well, they so wouldn't have cared about that. Really <laughs> so the, I gave the doctor money. I said, please fix this cat, and can you get it adopted? It was a beautiful This was cat. a veterinarian she's talking about. She didn't go to a doctor to say, yeah, fix me. What you did is went to the vet and said, take this cat. Take this miserable cat off my hands. And, oh. you know, it was tough. My child, It affects everything. You know, here I just took my children's pet away after their other pet died. I mean, it's a terrible, insidious disease. So, you know, fast forward, Abby and I, you know, have been friends for 16 years. And maybe four years into the friendship, I can't remember, she was like, did you ever consider medicine? <laughs> and I looked at Abby and I said, why would I consider medicine? <laughs> you did. You looked at me like I was utterly what, insane. What's your point? <laughs> and... I, I truthfully hadn't because from my perspective, this was something in my head that I had to beat and, you know, something that, you know, was wrong with me that I had to fix. And, and I think you also said to me a bunch of times, oh, I'm just a little nutty. Like, I think that because OCD can be funny in terms of pop culture and the media and we, you and I are big laughers, so we make fun of our OCD right. quite a bit. It's not funny. No, it's hor but, it's horrifying. But we but we make light of it sometimes, and I think that. And I remember you saying to me, you know, oh well, you know. I... Well, you know why though? In truth, because by the time I met you, it was seventy five percent better than it had been in my twenties. So, in and all yet fairness, you were still fairly right. So, with in it, comparison yeah. to twenty to twenty five or twenty four, whenever when it was at its most robust, by the time I met you. It was, it was bothersome, like the dog across the oh, way God. that would bark, and I would just obsess over it forever. I know. I remember that. And, and so to you, you know, that's what you were seeing. I was seeing the much improved Susan. Right. You were seeing the pre-effectser Susan. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. When you were 20 and you were had gone back to school and you were having all the washing and all the intrusive thoughts, uh, did you know it was OCD? I don't know when I rem when I learned the title for it. I I, I think so because I'm you know I'm pretty aware. Of did you things. did you go seek help? Did you go to a counselor? Not, not immediately. Not until I graduated college and was on my own, and then I and then I went. But but quite honestly, 
it wasn't the counselor that helped me. It was more, you know, like I have two brothers that have nothing OCD related. The thing that helped me most was not so much the therapist telling me what this is and what to do about it and all of that, but more so talking to family. They would see me going through these things. I remember I was in Vegas with my father and he happened to walk by when I was washing my hands at the sink and I was literally scrubbing for surgery up to my elbows, insanely washing my hands. And I remember looking at him and he was utterly horrified. What are you doing? Like, it, it just didn't make sense to him. And so for me to talk to people that I trusted who told me it wasn't necessary, that these are just thoughts, that this is not really a reason to do this. Nothing's going to happen. You're not going to get sick. But yet it wasn't a fear of getting sick. It really, I was rational enough to know none of the things that I was washing or being afraid of were going to make me sick. But the compulsion was there. Right. It's an inexplicable need to scratch an itch. Right. And you know it's crazy. You know it's irrational. But you just can't help it's, yourself. It's a brain error. You know, and, and one more thing that, you know, begs to be said, that the reason we scratch that itch it's because it feels really good. When I wash my hands or, you know, when I would go through those rituals, it felt good. It was, oh, I could breathe again. It's a relief. Yes. And Getting the new journal. I would sigh like, oh, okay. Right. Now but, I can start again and I can try to be perfect again. Right. And I cannot worry about anything that, you know, was contaminating. But the problem is, is that's what feeds you to keep doing it. And it's a very fleeting thought. You only feel good for a short time. Very short time until you're on to your next itch and your next scratch. And, you know, that's the insidious nature of the OCD. It's a glitch. It's a brain error. Much right. like we talk about with panic disorder, it's a brain error. Right. And sometimes the only remedy for a brain error is medication to get the brain to stop making the error. Right. So, you know, with get, getting back to, to, to Abby's concern, I mean, you know... She, I think what got to me once was she said, you know, you're modeling this for your children. Which was not to say that I thought you could give your kids OCD, but, but just that I didn't want them to watch their mom spinning all the time. And also, you know, it's exhausting. And when you're exhausted, you lose your temper more and you yell more. There was no doubt for, for me, from being very close with you and spending almost every day together when our kids were younger, that you were really in trouble, that you were really battling the mind monsters. And, uh, and I was already on medication at this point. I already had gotten help and I had been where you were. I had been in that resistant place and I just wanted you to have a better life. I knew you could. Right. And we would travel together. And by the way, I love traveling with Abby because yes, she does Lysol every nook and cranny of any surface area you can put your hands on. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> Not and, last and, weekend. <laughs> yeah. And now, and I, and, and now let's just forward it on to, I decided to get help. And I got on a medicine called Zoloft. I tried that Prozac, as I said, a couple of years ago, and then I didn't want to try anything again. Understandably, because you know, you're really happy. I'm like, this is making me worse. Right. So it took a while again, and I tried to. Uh, I went to the psychiatrist, and he recommended two years of me begging. Yes. <laughs> Please try again. Please, I love you so much. Please try. <laughs> Your kids love you too. Try. <laughs> so I got on Zoloft, and it, and I knew it worked. Because I didn't know what to expect, but I knew it worked because I remember sitting outside waiting for my daughter to finish up a procedure she was having done. And whereas normally I would have been spinning off the hook, waiting for somebody to come out, tell me, tell me, I was pretty chill. Almost to the point of bad parenting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right, maybe that's an exaggeration, but I was fine. I was normal. 
And that's what Abby said. She goes, it's not a happy pill. It will normalize you. And that's what it did. It stops the brain from glitching. Right. But then for other health reasons, I had to get off of Zoloft because it was counterindicated with another drug I was on. And I switched over to Effexor. Effexor is an SNRI, which is the same thing as an SSRI, but it operates on norepinephrine. And wouldn't conflict with my other medicine. And I have to say, I got really, really lucky because it was exactly what I needed. And the difference that it has made in my life is just, it's immeasurable. I mean, ask well, there's pre effexor season and post effexor season. Yes, and Abby, we love, love post effexor season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that I never have a moment that, you know, if a kid is next to me in school and they sneeze, does it bother me more than the average teacher? Yes. Um, if a kid vomits, you know, thank goodness it hasn't happened in my room for many, many years. But the running joke on my team is, you know, thank God it didn't happen in Susan's room because they know I would have to quit. <laughs> and <laughs> so I take it you're not the type of teacher that blows your kids' noses for them. Yeah, no, no, no. And if I see a kid picking their nose, you know, I will literally say, you need to go wash your hands now. There's no <laughs> pussyfooting around. <laughs> Um, and I, there's a giant thing of Purell on your desk. Anyway. Yeah, so, so they know that, that I am a germaphobe, but, you know, to know me is to love me. And that's the truth. We really do love you. Thank you so much for joining us today, Susan. You've really been generous with your time and with sharing your story. It's absolutely my pleasure. And if I could just encourage one person out there the way you encouraged me, that, you know, there are times it has to be better living through chemistry, and it really is so much better. you got to be able to live your life, and that's what I try. Mags and I really try to share that with other anxiety sisters, that, you know, there is no shame. If you have a brain illness, then you need a brain medication sometimes, just like if you have a physical illness. You know, nobody feels ashamed about taking insulin for diabetes. I no longer feel ashamed. I did in the beginning. I felt, you know, a little bit, but now it's my joke. Now it's part of my shtick. It's part of who you are. It's part of who yeah, I am. Yeah. Everybody who knows me knows it, and I'm just grateful. Well, I'm grateful to have you as a friend and as our guest. Thank you, you so much. Love you. Next time on The Spin Cycle, we will be talking about weight issues, particularly surrounding anxiety. Our special guest will be Rebecca Scritchfield, well-being coach, registered dietitian and nutritionist, and certified health and fitness specialist. Rebecca's book, Body Kindness, is a must-read with a life-changing message. You don't want to miss it. Please know that we love to hear from our listeners. So if you have any questions or comments or just want to say hi, you can reach us at anxietysisters.com on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, Anxiety Sisters, don't go it alone. You have been listening to The Spin Cycle, an Anxiety Sisters production. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved.